Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In March of 2020, we were broadcasting from the Called and Co-Responsible Conference at Notre Dame, and my guest, uh, Peter Androstic, was there, um, and he responded to a statement by Father Michael Sweeney, uh, and this is the statement. As a church, we have no imagination for lay agency. As a church, we have no imagination for lay agency. Well, we're going to enter our conversation looking at what that statement means. Peter lives in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, with his wife and seven children. He holds a master's in theology from Ave Maria University and is a senior consultant for the Evangelical Catholic. You can learn more at evangelicalcatholic.org. Peter, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. What does that phrase mean, the church lacks an imagination for lay agency? Well, um, so first of all, I think it's helpful to understand what he means by agency. Typically, when we say that someone has agency, that means that they have the ability to to have an effect on something. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think what he means, what I took it to mean, is that um, we, our imagination for for the lay faithful is to just kind of be involved in parish life. Um, and we don't have a sense for what it what it looks like uh, for for a lay Catholic to live in the middle of the world, to sanctify the world, to sanctify themselves in the middle of the world, and and to evangelize. So it's one thing to understand that conceptually, which I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of church workers do, a lot of pastoral workers understand that conceptually. But there's a difference between understanding something conceptually and having an imagination for it where you could like describe it in concrete terms what something looks like. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's what he means. That's, that's, that's how it clicked for me um, when I heard that statement. There, was, there were years of church work that, <laughs> it was like a Holy Spirit moment, there was like years of church work that just like blew up in my mind. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> Would that there were more moments like that, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, very good. Uh, you, you are involved, I mean— your organization has grown from advising four ministries in 2012 to almost 120 today. So you are very much aware of the explosion of lay apostolates uh, around, yeah. you know, over this last generation. It's truly remarkable. And, yeah, um, and so you're also aware that um, parishes and dioceses are missing, you know, it's great to have all these apostolates out there, but parishes and dioceses are missing a key component to accomplishing the Great Commission that all these groups are rising up to participate in. And that is, as you write, an integral understanding of the relationship between holiness and apostolate. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that means. Yeah, so... um I think, I don't know if anyone would say this <laughs> explicitly, but I think we operate in a way that thinks that all you need to do is kind of train people up and you can set them loose and they're going to evangelize. Mm-hmm. So, you know, parishes and dioceses offer, you know, weekend long trainings on evangelization, testimony training, charisma, 
all of these things, which are great, which are wonderful. But then what oftentimes happens is after that event, and the event can, the events oftentimes produce like an initial conversion. It produces some inspiration, some initial zeal. Then after the event is over, some people will, will, you know, the, the event moved the needle and they'll, they'll, they'll do something, but a lot of people will just kind of stagnate and they won't, they'll, they'll get kind of lost and they'll get, they'll get, you encounter all sorts of hiccups along the way. And, um, the importance here is to understand that holiness and apostolate, holiness and evangelization are really one and the same thing. And if we understand that, we'll know that we can't simply train someone up and expect that they're going to be fruitful. And now the parish is going to be changed after, after a, a four week series or after a 10 week series. Um, it takes ongoing formation. I, I would say it like this. Um, since holiness and evangelization are really one and the same reality, we, we distinguish them conceptually so we can talk about them and give formation mm-hmm. proper to them. But since they're one reality, you can say that evangelization really is a fruit of personal conversion. And like any kind of conversion, that needs to, that needs to develop into ongoing conversion. Initial conversion always has to develop into ongoing conversion. And so that, that takes a, a total like reordering of the way we think there needs to be. So in other words, the, the golden question in ministry is then what, right? So we have an evangelization training and let's say it's awesome. Let's say a ton of people have a conversion experience and move the needle in everyone's hearts. The question is then what? How are we going to catch these people on the other side and help them to to be creative with how they're reaching out to the people in their circles of influence and in their workplaces and their neighbors and their peers. Is that, did I answer the question? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that the, the linkage here is that holiness is about reflecting the divine life of Christ and evangelization is about sharing the divine life of Christ. There is leakage. Um, <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's leakage here. It, it, it. <laughs> so Yeah, that's good. I, I like that image. Um but at, and I think this this makes a tremendous amount of sense because you I love the way you put them together. They can really you can distinguish them but you can't really separate them. I mean, real evangelization is about sharing uh the, the gospel, the good news mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. God accomplished in the first century. And something happened then, something's happening now, something's going to happen in the future, and we're all part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we don't just have our own, quote, devotional time as one separate thing, and then we have our liturgical experience as another separate thing, and then we have our share groups as another separate thing, and then we have, you know, proclamation as another separate thing. Right. These are all related to sharing the life of Christ that's been right. communicated to us. Right. We have to develop a unity of life, and that requires a lot of accompaniment and formation. Yeah. And yeah. Um, in that in that unity of life, really, it's that holiness that holiness radiates forth from our life. And so, because really, because love is one, right? It's, um, 
even you know, I think it's in uh, I think it's the first letter of John. He, you know, he says, you know, how can you love how can you love God whom you don't know if you don't love your brother who yeah. you do know? Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's that's really a compelling statement and really calls us to a deep, uh, a much deeper understanding uh, than I think most of us live with regularly. Yeah. Um, so, um, is this? Are you encouraged by what you see going on uh, in the United States among uh, Catholics? I mean, this explosion of apostolates um, and the the profusion of excellent catechetical materials looks great. Um, is is it accomplishing what? we think it should accomplish. You know, I am encouraged by it. Um, I, you know, if I think, you know, 25 years ago, there wasn't a quarter of the apostolates and the approaches yep. that are out there now. And that's, that's really indicative of just the fruit of the Spirit. I think we're also gradually getting better in our approach with these things. Um, like anything, you know, um, you, know you, you kind of build the plane while it's in the air. You know? <laughs> There's there's a lot of there's a lot of you know movement of the Holy Spirit and people are responding and so they 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 have great ingenuity and, and great initiative and they create something and then they they do it which is which is what they should you know whatever apostolate it is and then they learn from that and then they perfect it gradually I mean even even the evangelical Catholic over the years we've 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 really adjusted and refined our approach um, and and so I. I think we're. I think as a whole, we're on the right track for sure, and it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No. Very good. Um, let's. You in the article. By the way, I, I don't think I mentioned this, but uh, your article in Church Life Journal, the need for deprofessionalizing evangelization. I'm drawing much from that as we, as we speak, and uh, you know, many times. Uh, People certainly embrace all that the Catholic Church teaches and affirms, um, but they're not quite sure what to do with it. So uh, tell me, because you're you, in the article here, you deal with this. Help us understand the role of the Trinity in all this. The role of the Trinity, the Trinity. Yeah. That's the central reality of our faith, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think where the, where the Trinity comes in is, you know, at our baptism, we're immersed into the, as baptism means, immersion, right? We're immersed into the mystery of God. And the Holy Spirit floods our soul, that water of life floods our soul and configures us to the image of of Jesus. In the Catechism, number 521 in the Catechism says that that we are called only to become one with him, and we're to accomplish the stages of Jesus' life and ours, and to perfect and extend and, and, and prolong his mysteries. Mm-hmm. And so, really, when we think of this, I mean, there's a sense in which, not a sense, it, it is the reality that we're all called, by virtue of our baptism, be, to become mystics. <laughs> To become to to live ever fully immersed in that mystery, yeah. and evangelization, apostolate, is really a mystical activity, and because because 
it's it's it has its root in our divine filiation. You know, our, we're we're called only to become one with Him, to have the same thoughts and desires and, and, and well, stop, uh, vision if, as Jesus. Peter, hold it there. We'll have to take a break and we'll come back and pick it up with this idea of having. Uh, really, we need to become one with Him. My guest, uh, <clears throat> Peter. Andrastic is sharing with us some of the thought in his article, The Need for Deprofessionalizing Evangelization. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Peter Andrastic. Uh, he's done some wonderful work uh, for Church Life Journal, and we've been looking at his article, The Need for Deprofessionalizing Evangelization. Now, he's a senior consultant for the Evangelical Catholic and consults with all kinds of uh, apostolates and those who are fulfilling the Great Commission, the work of evangelization. And so we are talking earlier about the relationship between holiness and evangelization. And he writes, Holiness may be simply understood as the fullness of the Christian life. Uh, Christian life is the life of Christ communicated to us. The sacraments, initially baptism, and most profoundly the Eucharist, divinize us, mystically configuring us to the second person of the Trinity, making us sharers in the divine nature. Becoming sharers in the divine nature, we mysteriously become sons in the Son, Christ himself, it is not I who live, St. Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. And we were talking just before the break about this need to become one with Christ. When I, when I want to become one with Christ, what am I desiring? What is it that I want to see? Wow. So when I was in grad school, I had a professor who said this, this just seared into my memory. He said in, in rather um, uh, jarring language, he said, Jesus had, was obsessed with two things, just utterly obsessed with only two things. They, they, they informed and they were the motive for everything he did. His relationship with his father and your salvation. Hmm. And that just it just stuck with me. And so when I think of becoming one with with Christ, when I think of this this living out of this divine filiation and kind of gradually growing into Him and and really um, uh, taking on as His personality <laughs> while yeah. at the same time fulfilling my own, I think of you know He's obsessed. You know, I, I, lately I've been praying about just what I've, I'm calling like the mystery of self-forgetfulness. You know, like when Jesus prayed, what did he pray about? You know, he, he talked with his father and he was, and he, he was, there, there was, the, there was this, the theological Trinity was at work, right? God within himself. But then, then the, the economic Trinity, how the Trinity like uh, unfolds and, and, and reveals himself to, to the world. Um, you know, Jesus was obsessed with, with the details of everyone's life, with your life, with my life. 
um, with the people who he was hanging out with. Um, and and the, the combination of those two things, his, his, his relationship with his father and the Holy Spirit and, and your salvation and mine, that like dictated everything he did and everything he didn't do. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, you know, I think the only way to, 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 to really enter into that is, is to, to, through regular consistent prayer and reception of the Eucharist and mental prayer and, and including, including our friends and our coworkers in our mental prayer, like lists of people and praying about them and praying for them. And, um, you know that yeah. that yeah I mean that yeah I'm just I'm listening to you and I'm saying to myself those two uh, those two uh, obsessions as you say of Jesus uh, his relationship with his Father and his commitment to our salvation if my becoming one with him re- you know means adopting. Or letting those two priorities rule my life, then that means there are a lot of things I'm not going to do. Yeah. Because they may not be bad in and of themselves, but they're not necessarily serving uh, this enhancement of my relationship with my father uh, or enabling me to be more. Um, attentive to and effective in sharing in the salvation of others. Mm -hmm. So I would think that would be one of the first things that would come to mind for me is just to go over and see what I'm doing all day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A good examination of conscience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, when, when you have, uh, when you're doing consultation with these evangelization groups and these apostolates that come in what's a common what's a common problem that they share um well at the evangelical catholic we primarily consult with parishes oh okay um, and, and we have relationships with other apostolates we do we, we have relationships and, and some partnerships but the advising is primarily with parishes with also some campus ministries and we do some diocesan work as well um but i would say that the common Really, the, the common difficulty is lacking an imagination for the lay vocation and the lay mission. What what does that look like? And if you can't imagine what that looks like, you can't give formation for it. Yeah. yeah. And then, like the next stage is once you start once you start doing that, once you start forming people in a way that's calibrated, once you start forming Joe Catholic <laughs> in a way that's calibrated to his life. It helps him to live the way of discipleship, the way of Catholic life. And you start doing that with, with more and more people, that starts to grind up against the pastoral structures that we've inherited in our parishes, which are primarily based on religious ed for kids and kind of a town square environment for adults. Um, and so, so then... Facing the, the the current pastoral structures is like the next big challenge, because those aren't typically calibrated for 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 today for kind of like a a post Christian you know 
kind of a new apostolic age. Right, right. Primarily as adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, we really, we're at the end of Christendom, so mm-hmm. we've got a new apostolic age that we're in, um, and we're having to learn. Um, it's not, not, in a way, we're in a worse position, I think, than um, the first generation of Christians were. Uh, they they went to a world with a message that the world hadn't heard before. It was mm-hmm. fresh, and they were wooing the world. Now we're in the position of, um, well, kind of like in a divorce. Uh, and, and the world thinks they know us only too well. Um, yep. they've, they've heard it all before, and, uh, you know, we have to— win back uh, a divorced party. And yes. I think that's much more difficult. Yes, way more difficult. And I think that in, in, in typical parish life, now there's always exceptions, but in, in typical parish life, that connection hasn't been made yet. And so people, you know, oftentimes will try to run programs and events that are more like bobber fishing, you know, like, rather than going and putting out into deep water, right? And try to attract people into the parish. And there's this assumption that like, well, if it's attractive enough and relevant sounding enough, people will come. But the reality is that's not in the vast majority of places. That's not the case anymore. Hmm. So we have to, we have to form people, individuals to be, to be Christ himself to their circle of influence wherever they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, in your experience, if I could just, if I could just uh, yes, go ahead. Like one little, like oftentimes we talk about parishes being, you know, we want to make parishes centers of evangelization. Um, the 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 trick with that language is that if we try to talk about parishes as vibrant centers of evangelization, we we think that evangelization happens primarily on the parish's turf. Yeah. And so, and because words are connected to our imagination, right? Which, and then that informs our reality. But rather, I think we need to focus on making our parishes centers of apostolic formation for the laity. Mm-hmm. Because evangelization is best done on their turf, right. not on the turf of the parish. So th- th- that's very good. I love that. Um, so a lot of evangelization is actually going to take place in people's homes. Like 99% of it is going to take place <laughs> in their homes, workplaces, at the gym, yeah. the ball field, wherever they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. So the parish is there for you know apostolic formation. Yeah. Um, and then we basically take this proclamation um, and share it uh, mm-hmm. wherever we are. And... Um, how many? Well, just a, I'm curious. How many? What percentage of priests? On would you say get what you just said? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, boy, this is pure conjecture. I would say, conceptually, many, if not most, do. Okay. Very good. But, but again, I think there's a difference between understanding something conceptually 
and imagining what that could look like, like in the concrete, living, mm-hmm. living it out in the world. I think that number is a lot, lot lower. Okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's a, I, I couldn't give it a percentage, but I would say a minority. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Let me switch gears here, uh, because you write that St. Francis and St. Rose of Lima are great saints, but they're not always helpful examples of lived holiness for the rest of us. <laughs> what do <Yeah>. you mean? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the bulk of our examples of holiness are um, those of consecrated religious and clergy. And that, right. that's great. The, the saints the saints are, um, you could say, infallible examples of holiness. And right. Why are they infallible? Because they're canonized. <laughs> you know, like, it's, <laughs> um, it, 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 it's true. However, their states in life were different. Their vocations were different. And so they're not going to translate readily um, into the life of, of 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 a of a lay Catholic of an ordinary Christian. So, for mm-hmm. example, Rose of Lima um, is often you know an example of great modesty. You know, she cut her hair real short and she rubbed hot peppers all over her face to disfigure her so that she wouldn't be so attractive because she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. Well, like, what does what does a wife do with that? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like, a wife who's supposed to look attractive to her husband, or vice versa, a husband. You're like, what's he supposed to do with that? Or you know, the saints, a lot of the saints who just gave away everything, St. Francis, you know, ripped his clothes off, and gave away everything and to, to rebuild the church. And that's beautiful and wonderful. And we need um, the example, not only the example, but we need the, 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 the apostolic holiness of religious that's proper to them. We need that. But what, what is, what's a lawyer supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or someone who you know, has to keep track of their accomplishments so that they can ask for a raise because they just had their ace kid, yeah. you know, and they got to make ends meet, you know, like, so we, I think we have to work hard either, you know, either finding more, because uh, there are canonized lay saints where you, you got to work hard at, at kind of unearthing those stories. Mm-hmm. Or I think, and <laughs> I think as pastoral workers need to, work hard at like understanding how some of those virtues translate into a secular life. Cause the yeah. lady do have a secular character. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we are, it does seem as though the, the church is more interested in finding, uh, lay saints. Uh, so yeah. I, I yeah. Just, recent years, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, Since thanks so much. Pardon? <laughs> Since John Paul II. <laughs> yes, yes. Praise God. Thank you so much. Wonderful being with you, Peter. I really appreciate your work. I hope we can talk oh, again in the so near much. future. Thank you so much. Peter Androstic, uh, we'll have these two articles available for you in the Krista Guest Archives. Uh, they're from Church Life Journal. And um, I tell you, this is, this is the kind of thinking that really changes the church's understanding of its mission.